0: Today, we're talking about benzodiazepines. I'm doing a two-part series on benzos. This episode will be on benzodiazepine overdose, and next week's will be on benzodiazepine withdrawal. By the end of the episode, you'll have a pretty good grasp for how to recognize the signs and symptoms of benzo overdose, how to rule out other causes of CNS depression, and how to treat benzodiazepine overdose. I'm your host, Sarah Lorenzini, a rapid response nurse and educator who loves telling stories to teach critical thinking. This podcast is for nurses who want the knowledge, skills, and confidence to respond to any emergency. With almost 20 years of experience in the ER and critical care nursing and a master's degree in nursing education, I have a lot of stories to share, and I love to nerd out and break down the pathophysiology, pharmacology, and nurses' role in emergencies. Stories bring learning to life. It is way easier to learn from and remember the stories that my colleagues and mentors have told me than anything I've read in a textbook. And that is why I made this podcast. Every episode is packed full of exactly what you need to know to handle whatever crisis that could arise on your shift. It's one thing to get the right answer on the test, but knowing how to detect when your patient is declining and what to do when your patient is crashing is what will make or break your day and might just save your patient's life. So let's dive into the story. This is from my ER days. I'm actually going to combine a couple different stories together into one case study because I've cared for several benzo overdoses working in an ER in a college town. So EMS brings in a young college student in her early 20s, unresponsive per EMS, the roommate called 911. So we asked EMS if they knew anything else. They said the roommate was hysterical and not able to give much information on the scene. They didn't see any signs of drug use. It was a pretty clean apartment. No drug paraphernalia laying around or pill bottles or anything like that. The roommate said that she was on her way. So I get the patient on the monitor. She's got a pretty low oxygen saturation, like in the low 90s on a non-rebreather mask. I put her on an entitled CO2 nasal cannula underneath the mask. And her CO2 is pretty high for someone with no history of COPD. She's like in the high 50s. The roommate arrived pretty soon after. And she tells us that the patient, let's just call her Jenna, that Jenna, had just broke up with her boyfriend, and so they all went out drinking last night to kind of help her get over it. She was vomiting, and so they helped her. They got her cleaned up and put her to bed, and when the roommate went to check on her this morning, she found her like this, so she called 911. For me, Jenna was only responding to very painful stimuli. I asked what time all this had happened just to get a gauge for how long she'd be sleeping off her hangover, because it's like 10 a.m., and the roommate seemed completely sober. She said... Jenna doesn't drink much, so it didn't take long for her to get drunk, and when she started puking at the bar, we just brought her home. She said, we call it a night like around midnight. So I asked, do you know if Jenna has any medical history? Does she take any medications? The roommate said, honestly, I don't know. I've seen her take a pill before when she was like going to have an anxiety attack, but I don't know anything about her medical history. She seems pretty healthy to me. So I asked, could she have taken any other drugs last night when you guys were out? she was like, oh, no, definitely not. Jen is a really good person and really responsible and, and really focused on school. She wants to be a doctor. I feel so bad for taking her out last night. She didn't even drink that much. Is she going to die? Let me pause right there. A lot of nursing and medicine in general is detective work. Sherlock Holmes put all the clues together to determine who committed the crime. And we put all the clues together consist of, patient history, assessment findings, diagnostic labs, and imaging to help us determine the diagnosis. So you guys have the upper hand because you got to read the title of the episode, but those of us in the ER that day, we're still trying to figure out what was going on while trying to care for Jenna and her very tearful and remorseful roommate. So as nurses, yes, we're investigators, but we're also care providers and sometimes counselors amongst many other hats that we get to wear. I know nothing about her history or what pills her roommate had referenced. I can assume that it might have been a benzo, but I have no idea. So Jenna didn't come in with a pill bottle in hand or a medication list. She's in vomit-soaked pajamas, and that's all that I got. We're just going off assumptions at this point, because we don't actually know what Jenna has ingested, except for we know she took enough alcohol to make her vomit last night. So where do we go from here? Well, it's 10 a.m. I think it's safe to assume that Jenna isn't drunk anymore if she stopped drinking before midnight. This is something else. Fortunately, the roommate brought Jenna's cell phone. We were able to call Jenna's mom to get the rest of her history. We found out from Jenna's mom that she has depression and anxiety. She takes amitriptyline for depression and anxiety and has alprazolam or Xanax as needed for anxiety attacks. So we gave Narcan to see if it would help. It did nothing. We ultimately had to intubate Jenna because she wasn't protecting her airway. Her SpO2 was no longer maintaining above 90. Her CO2 was in the 60s. Her blood pressure was dropping. So you're probably thinking, then what did she take, Sarah? Well, it could have been the tricyclic antidepressant that she's prescribed or the benzodiazepine, the Xanax, or both. Well, it could have been both, but based on our assessment findings, it seemed more like benzos. Let me walk you through my assessment. She responded to painful stimuli but she could only, like, grimace and pull away. No vocalization. Her GCS was a whopping seven. One for eye-opening, one for verbal response, five for motor response. Her pupils were small, but nothing crazy. Like, one to two bilaterally with a somewhat sluggish response to light. Her skin was cool and dry. Vital signs as follows. Her heart rate was 55. Her respiratory rate was a whopping six. Her blood pressure was 85 or 50 and her oxygen saturation on the non-rebreather was 88%. Her EKG showed no evidence of QRS prolongation, which is classic for a tricyclic antidepressant overdose. Additionally, some other symptoms that helped us kind of rule out the tricyclic overdose, she didn't have any tachycardia or dry mouth or hot skin or pupil dilation or agitation. Those are more indicative of like tricyclic overdose. I mean, she may have taken some tricyclics, but at this point, she's looking more like benzos. Most likely, she started waking up and felt the weight of her grief about her breakup, coupled with the physical symptoms of a hangover, and decided to take her bottle of Xanax. So why didn't we give her flumazenil, also known as Ramazacon? Great question, since that is the antidote for benzodiazepine overdose. Let's talk about it. So flumazenil works similarly to Narcan, but for benzodiazepine overdoses. The onset is about one to two minutes after administration, but its peak effect is between six and 10 minutes. The initial dose is 0.2 milligrams IV push slowly over about 30 seconds. If the patient doesn't perk up, you can give an additional dose of 0.3 milligrams. And after that dose, it's 0.5 milligrams at one minute intervals with a max dose of three milligrams. But giving flumazanil has some major risk. Most commonly, seizures. Some would argue that the risk actually outweigh the benefits in certain patient populations. So patients who take benzodiazepines chronically are more likely to develop seizures after the benzodiazepine antagonist is injected. And any patient with a history of seizures or head injury or who already takes tricyclic antidepressants are more likely to have a seizure from the flumazenil. So it's important to know your patient's story before administering the medication. But like for a kid who accidentally overdoses on grandma's meds, but has never taken tricycles before or benzos and has no seizure history, Fumazenil is great for them. But for Jenna, it wasn't worth the risk. As to the option of charcoal administration, that debate could take up an entire podcast episode in and of itself. So I will save that for another time. Let's get to the breakdown. As I list the signs and symptoms of benzodiazepine overdose, see if you can catch how many Jenna had so here they there. Confusion, disorientation, slurred speech, lethargy, ultra mental status, sometimes GI disturbances like nausea and vomiting, respiratory depression, hypotension, bradycardia, low oxygen saturation, hypercapnia, hypothermia, pupillary constriction, and seizures. She had a lot of them, huh? In summary, benzo overdose looks somewhat similar to opiate overdose, except narcan won't reverse the effects of benzos. Flumazenil is an option to reverse the respiratory depressing effects of benzos, but use with caution. For some patient populations, the risk is greater than the benefit. We treat benzo overdose with supportive care. Add supplemental oxygen, administer IV fluids, replete electrolyte abnormalities. But if their respiratory drive is so depressed, Sometimes we have to breathe for them with an endotracheal tube attached to a ventilator. So yes, get a tox screen to rule out other possible co-ingestions, but you can get all the drug screens you want. They aren't going to aid in your initial ABC assessment and treatment of the patient. If your patient tests positive for benzos, that doesn't really change anything. They still need the same supportive care. Before you go, I just wanted to let you know that if you liked this episode, you would probably like my course too. My one-hour Rapid Response and Rescue course is an introduction to how I approach emergencies. If you would like to learn to think, assess, and respond quickly when your patient is crashing, then you can check out my website, rapidresponseandrescue.com. And if you message me the word podcast on Instagram, I will send you a coupon code for $10 off the cost of the course. Oh, and did I mention that the course is approved by the AACN and worth one continuing education contact hour? So if you want to level up your emergency response skills and get one CE in the process, then this course is what you want. I put the link in the show notes for you. Well, thanks for listening. I hope you learned something that will save a life. Remember, nursing is a team sport, so trust your intuition and don't give up advocating until you are confident you've done what's right by your patient. The views and opinions expressed on this show are that of Sarah Lorenzini and Hers alone. They are not intended as medical advice and should not take the place of your institution's policies or procedures. Evidence-based practice is ever-changing and your patient care should reflect the current best practice. If you want to get in contact with Sarah, you can find her at rapidresponseandrescue.com or on social media platforms as the Rapid Response RN.